Starting off the show, though, with news of some more cases of COVID-19 in long-term care facilities in this province. And Mike Klassen joins me now, the acting CEO of the BC Care Providers Association. Mike, thanks so much for being with us. Uh, my pleasure to be here, Jill. Uh, what are we looking at now as far as new cases and outbreaks in long-term care facilities? Well, it's been uh, reasonably steady. I mean, of course, we saw a bit of a slowdown, but we've seen um, just a, a few more cases now. Um, and so today is effectively my last day as acting CEO. We've got uh, Terry Lake, a former Minister of Health, who's coming on as our new CEO beginning tomorrow. And so we're very excited because we know that Terry will be able to um, to bring that extra that extra strength in our advocacy. And we are out there um, uh, trying to support our members. And, and as a routine, when somebody does get a new outbreak, I, I usually send them an email or give them a call just to let them know we're out there. And I'm just kind of realizing I'm making a lot of these calls lately. And um, what's frustrating about where we're at right now is we don't seem to have uh, in spite of all the precautions that we've been putting in for all these several months, including uh, the availability of PPE, uh, being able to, to you know, p- train people properly to use that PPE, and all the other precautions that we are putting out there, we're still seeing these outbreaks happening, usually from uh, coming in from the community. Um, in most cases, it's, it's, it's a staff person, but there are cases where it's not clear yet until there's a bit of time goes by, we can't really figure out how um, the infection spreads inside either the long-term care or in, in the case of one I heard about in the weekend uh, in the assisted living facility. And I guess that is, that is one of the, the questions too, with the opening up of visits, which we can all acknowledge are very important and family members being able to see their loved ones. But is it possible then, like you said, even with the protective equipment and the protocols that are in place, that that's how it's getting in? I would be surprised at this point. Now, there are different anecdotes that we're seeing online of some people who are going inside the care homes. And uh, But if you were really following the letter of the um, directions uh, put out by Dr. Henry a couple of months ago, the idea is that you would have um, a socially distanced visit um, and it would really depend upon uh, the availability of staff to, to manage it uh, appropriately so everybody stays safe. So um, is it possible? No question it is possible. And, and we know with uh, how uh, transmissible this, this virus is, it can get around very easily. And Once it gets its hooks inside of the building, it really has a tough time letting go. And uh, what does it do as far as limiting restrictions then when we see, like you said, there were, a progress had been made and, and it's always great news when we hear from the health authorities, uh, the health professionals that an outbreak is over. But when there are new cases, what does that mean then for residents and for staff? How do things change in these facilities? Um, well, immediately there's a number of steps that are taken. So if you can imagine um, first of all, uh, people in long-term care are often have mobility challenges to, to begin with. Um, so uh, when, when an outbreak happens, it just means there's even more restrictions. Um, for example, um, no more sort of congregate dining areas. You have to, you have to be um, uh, usually um, dining in your own room. Um, there's limitations on movement as far as that goes. You have, uh, in most cases, you have um, the health authorities will come in with a series of infection control experts. So there's a lot of restrictions that are put in, and immediately the ability to visit somebody is, um, as a normal practice, 
ends for uh, two uh, uh, quarantine periods, which are 14 days each. So it's about uh, almost a month before somebody can actually go back out again. My mom, who's in, in her mid-80s and, and, and still very active and, and uh, you know, enjoying life, um, has a, a companion, a friend who is, lives in an assisted living um, site. And uh, this uh, gentleman has been really trying to get together with her to go out and have a little uh, lunch together. And they were trying to find a patio they can do it. And then he found out that his site um, has now got an outbreak. So after enduring all of this time, uh, having to be sort of stuck in, in his residence, he's no longer able to, um, to go out for at least another month, I'm, I'm guessing. And it, it just it made me sad. And it was part of the reason I went to Twitter last night is I really think this community spread is is the cause of, of our problems. And we can't take our foot off the gas. We really have to all work together to make sure that we're using as many precautions as possible uh, when we're shopping and, and, and visiting with friends and family out in the community. It's got to be frustrating for you and for others as well, then, when you hear stories uh, like we're talking about today, the Granville Strip, where there have been more confirmed cases in nightclubs that are operating on Granville Street, and like you talk about the, the community spread, because even though if there, there's likely not a connection with long-term care, I mean, there could be, but it kind of shows the attitude, doesn't it, of people not taking it seriously? Well, you know, I, I'm I'm loath to sort of condemn an entire part of the population. I just think that we have to try and create as, as much awareness and incentives as possible. I I get it. We're we're all tired, and and we're we, this has been going on now for about seven, possibly eight months, uh, depending when you want to uh, start, uh, talk about the start. But it really is uh, a case where we all have to pull together, and so. You know, I'm very pleased with what we've been able to do at BC Care Providers for the last several months. We have been working extraordinarily closely with the provincial government, the Minister of Health, the health authorities, and our members, and out, people out in the community to try and really find positive ways of moving forward. The thing that we're worried about, of course, I think we're all very anxious about, is the anticipated second wave, which are sort of seeing some early signs right now. So we've We've posted 17 draft recommendations that can be found on our website at bccare.ca. Again, they're just ideas that we put out in the community. We're getting feedback and we're consulting on those. And I think together we're all trying to figure out what is the best way, because we're not entirely helpless. I mean, we should be able to do a better job of trying to prevent this. And, you know, we're hearing more about um, it uh, being airborne and spread through the air. What are the measures that we can take there, for example, to make sure that people can be safer? So, um, again, uh, the message has to go out to our young people. Yeah, it's nice to be able to see people together, but man, like, let's start creating some of your uh, really stricter bubbles and finding ways of uh, getting together so you know you're not going to be spreading this to people who are going to get uh, infected uh, infections into care homes and where people die. Uh, are you concerned? Uh, you mentioned the kind of the, the second wave and the anticipation of that. How concerned are you now? Uh, we're, this week we're, we're seeing schools reopening and, and- things, the places are going to start getting busier. I'd be lying to say if I said I wasn't worried about it. I mean, again, we're just, here we are in the most outdoor time that we could possibly have. Beautiful weather, you know, we're able to get outside. And what happens when we start have to go uh, back indoors again? I think that's the big concern. So, you know, when I go into a coffee shop or to Costco or something like that, I wear a mask. I really want everybody else to do the same. Uh, and just respect um, that distance that people need to have between each other because clearly this this virus can get around very easily. Yes, some people have very small symptoms, but there are others where it can be debilitating, as we all read. 
And uh, we have to try and do everything in our power together as British Columbians uh, to try and make sure that we can put a stop to the, the coronavirus. All right, Mike, uh, we'll leave it there. And thanks so much uh, for filling in as acting CEO. I didn't realize today was uh, your last day. Uh, thanks for everything. And thanks so much for coming on the show today. Uh, my pleasure. And I just want to say a shout out to all the frontline care workers that have been working so hard for these last minute on Labor Day today, especially we need to acknowledge their, their work. But thank you, Jill, for, um, for listening to all of us. Well, it wasn't that long ago we were unfortunately talking about people with out-of-town plates being targeted for being in B.C. In some cases, nasty notes were being left on their vehicles. In some other cases, their vehicles were vandalized. And a lot of people came out asking that you not rush to judgment. In fact, Dr. Henry was one of those who said you don't know somebody's story. It could be somebody who works in film. It could be a student. It could be somebody who'd moved here and hasn't dealt with the license plates yet. Uh, You don't know that it's somebody who is going against the COVID-19 rules and traveling around the province or who decided to come here on vacation during the height or as we were just learning more about the virus. Well, one Kamloops city councillor decided to do something a little different when it came to welcoming people and showing some kindness. And councillor Mike O'Reilly joins me on the line now to talk a bit more about that. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you, Jill. Thanks for having me, and uh, thank you for taking interest in the story. Well, we wanted to talk about this because you've now kind of hit a milestone. We'll get to that in a second. So how did you come up with the idea to leave your business card and to leave these nice notes on the vehicles? You know, I, I sort of just sat back and, uh, and just started thinking, you know, if, if I was in that person's shoes, you know, um, would I feel uh, nervous to come to Kamloops? And if so, how could uh, I maybe help overcome that? And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm a business person and, and in the business world, if, you have, if a customer has a negative experience, um, you know, you do what you can to turn that negative into a positive. And I just kind of started racking my brain and, and came up with uh, leaving uh, positive notes for people that are in town. And were you doing it then specifically vehicles that had Alberta license plates or was it any any license plate that wasn't a BC plate? Uh, yeah, out of province plates. And, and honestly, this just started with, I just did it one morning with four or five business cards. And, and then I just kept doing it four or five a day. Uh, and it doesn't take that much. And, you know, I would go anywhere from uh, our, our main shopping district here to uh, park entrances to hotel parking lots um, and just leave a, a little note. And so how many have you left now? Uh, I, I did my 100th one last week. Um, and again, this, this didn't start out with my goal of saying, hey, I want to do 100 notes. Um, and frankly, it's time to some of the other handwritten notes. Uh, and, you know, I, I think it has a lot of value and a lot of impact for somebody to get to it. And I liken it to, you know, if you got an email from a friend versus you got a handwritten letter in your mailbox from a friend, it just has a lot more weight to it. And uh, and so it's just those little things that make people feel that, yeah, hey, they are welcome to, you know, come to not just Camus, but to British Columbia as a whole. And you uh, the, you posted one on social media on Twitter saying uh, the, the writing on the back of your business card says, if you are visiting, thank you. And thank yous in all caps uh, for coming to Kamloops, uh, stay healthy. Uh, did you write the same thing on every card? Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, and, you know, it was, it was hard to think of the messaging because, you know, at first, my, my first one that I'd written said, stay safe. And I was like, oh, well, you know, are they, am I talking about health or am I talking about their vehicle not getting vandalized? Um, and so stay healthy seemed to be a very broad message and, uh, and, and what everybody wants to hear right now, too. So, and at any times when you've been leaving the cards, has the, the owner come back or have you, has it sparked any conversations? Well, that was the interesting part of this whole exercise is it actually created a two-way dialogue. 
And so, you know, I've received uh, text messages, phone calls, and emails from people. Uh, some of them were, you know, a couple hours after I dropped the card off. And one of them was three weeks. Uh, I got an email after the person had got the card and they said, hey, I just got home from my trip through BC. Thank you so much. And like, it, it was just, uh, it's really nice. And, uh, and I think it meant a lot to these people. And any, well, not concerns, I guess, but not not suggesting that what was happening was right with people that were kind of taken aback and maybe were making people with out-of-town plates feel unwelcome. Uh, But was there, do you think, legitimate concern when we were hearing about some people uh, using the Alaska loophole or or earlier on when people were still traveling when we were being told to, to stay home as much as possible? Well, I, I think very much so. I mean, that um, you know, there was a lot of anxiety going around the province, not knowing what was happening, who had things, who didn't, um, and people started stereotyping. And unfortunately, it was based on colors of license plates. And uh, you know, I, I don't think that's right. I think anybody that comes to British Columbia, regardless of the, the uh, color of their plate, should feel safe. Um, and you know, one of the vehicles that I stopped to drop a card off, I didn't see a person sitting in the passenger seat, and they they kind of cracked their window just a little bit and right away they were very defensive and said oh you know what we're allowed to be here my husband works here for three months and you know she was you know it it was very much her guard was up and and so I started talking to her a little bit more and it just really created that open dialogue and the fact that that person felt that way that someone was coming to the car just to have a conversation and they were worried that I was leaving a nasty note or going to vandalize their vehicle I think that says a lot uh, to, to how people are feeling from out of problems. Oh, I've seen so many vehicles in Vancouver as well with plates from outside of BC with with signs in them saying, I'm a UBC student or I've been here for four years and then all these long explanations. So clearly this was happening not only in Kamloops, but it's been happening in in a lot of places. Yeah, and you know, I think very much, you know, as a city councillor or an individual, um, anybody in British Columbia, we can't control uh, people leaving negative notes. But there is an aspect of this that we can control and try and help people feel safer. And, uh, you know, I just thought it was a little thing that we could do. And hopefully they go home and tell their friends and family. Um, And, uh, you know, I am quite happy the way that the media uh, has picked up on this. And I wasn't expecting it to. um, But the fact that they're, you know, it's being reported on as much as positive story as the negative story was a month ago um that uh, that also gives me a glimmer of hope that uh, that people do want to hear the good things that are going on in british columbia as well uh, so it was 100 cards uh, last week are you going to keep doing it uh, I'm not too sure. I, I mean, that was during uh, the month of August, uh, during our slower time, um, and certainly it does take time. Um, and, and I mean, I will, I'll probably still try and do some more. But um, as uh, municipal governments start getting more active now that uh, schools back in and uh, we have council meetings again, I'm not going to have as much time. But uh, certainly, I will uh, do it when when time allows. <laughs> All right. Well, it's it's nice to share a positive story and a story that uh, has bring brought some happiness to people. Uh, thanks so much for joining us to talk more about it. Yeah, thank you. And, and thanks again for, for picking up on this story. It means a lot because it's, uh, you know, the, it's good to hear some positive things that are happening, happening due to COVID because we hear a lot of negative and, and that helps to build the anxiety. And hopefully this puts a smile on people's face and encourages them to do the same. So uh, I, I can't thank you enough. All right. Well, sounds good. Have a great rest of your weekend. 
Thanks, Joe. You too. Well, we know there have been many, many job losses because of the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, but we have a much clearer picture of those numbers in the city of Surrey. And this is because of a new report. It is called the Surrey Labour Market Intelligence Report, and it was put out by the Surrey Board of Trade. Joining me to talk a bit more about the numbers is Anita Hubberman, the CEO of the Surrey Board of Trade. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. Uh, so this is a, a tracking tool. How, did, uh, how does this work as far as giving us the accurate numbers and really uh, breaking down those numbers of job losses? Well, it's broken down based upon the recent Canadian Labour Force survey statistics that were provided. And uh, really, it uh, is going to be a monthly uh, report that's uh, quantitative, qualitative, uh, indicating implications for Surrey employers, workers and service providers. When we look at the losses, then the numbers coming out of more than 37,000 jobs in Surrey uh, from February to July, uh, were you expecting that or was that a surprise? We were expecting that. I mean, uh, even when the pandemic hit in March, uh, we were on the ground at the Surrey Board of Trade uh, talking to different businesses, and they were saying to us, especially in the hospitality sector, the restaurant sector, arts and culture, we don't know how we're going to make it, and uh, it's going to be uh, a bleak future ahead of us. I mean, yes, there's government supports, Uh, But those industries especially were hardest hit in our report. And not a surprise, I would imagine, that a lot of the job losses look at the service sector. Um, Are there particular areas in in that as far as what we've seen come back or that continue to be the hardest hit? Well, there are some uh, jobs that have come back in the restaurant sector as uh, the economy started opening up in phase three. Uh, The hardest-hit industries uh, were arts and culture, personal services, accommodation, food services. But, you know, in Surrey, a lot of our uh, essential service industries were able to be alive. Uh, We have the greatest number of manufacturers in British Columbia. They were supplying goods to the province, to the nation, internationally. Um, Our development and construction sector, vibrant. Uh, but our youth, our immigrants, uh, women were adversely affected by job losses. Uh, and that was evident uh, in our research uh, last week. Uh, one of the numbers that, that stuck out to me as well was the finding that 15% of businesses in the province say they don't expect to ever reach pre-COVID levels of staffing. Does that, I mean, we, we do know that at some point we will be on the other side of this. Is that number jarring? It's jarring, but uh, one of the things that we're finding is many businesses, and and some businesses can't do this, they're innovating. Uh, So they're using digital technology in order to streamline activity. They've been forced uh, to innovate. Uh, But we are seeing businesses in Surrey, and I even heard it last week, they're closing down. They just cannot make it work within a small amount of space. Uh, the physical distancing requirements or uh, the PPE requirements and then the costs related to that. So only 29% of small businesses were making or exceeding their normal revenue levels uh, for this period, even in August 2020. Uh, So it's very concerning and everyone is uh, very concerned about this fall as well as we look uh, possibly towards a second wave of the virus. 
Uh, we've also uh, been uh, talking a lot about the government programs or the federal government programs, the support programs. Uh, this report also looks at uh, the need for those. Uh, do you think, are, are there going to be enough supports in place as we head into the fall to, to, help, to continue that, the help of the businesses? Well, the number one program that is of most concern to uh, small businesses especially is the rent relief program. Uh, It needs to be extended. It needs to be revitalized. It needs to work for both the landlord and the tenant, and it is not working. Uh, The wage support, that's going to be until the end of the year. Uh, but, um, you know, we, we will see, you know, what the impact of business is going to be in 2021 when these supports roll out, um, when they end, because uh, some businesses can't survive without these supports in the short term. Uh, and when you talk about the rent relief program, because we've, we've touched on that uh, in the past few weeks with so many landlords, uh, or business uh, landlords saying they either didn't, the forms were too complicated or so they didn't bother. Uh, what would need to change or what would you like to see change, do you think, to, to that, so that it could be something that more businesses could access and it could be of more help? Well, you know, the whole piece around uh, application for the landlord that they have to show their financial statements, uh, there's just so much administrative burden to the landlord, and it doesn't make fiscal sense. Every landlord, every strata is is different, and this general approach uh, that's out there and, and put out by the federal government in partnership with the province, uh, and they've had to work with the federal government uh, across Canada, uh, it's just very complex, and, and that's why you don't see a lot of landlords uh, taking advantage of this program, because it just doesn't make fiscal sense for them. Uh, and, and heading to the fall as well, are there concerns? I know the report touched on this, the cost of continued uh, per, per, um protective equipment, making sure that businesses are uh, COVID safe and following the public health rules. Uh, Is that being factored in as well as far as the increased costs to businesses? I don't believe it is. I mean, we had asked um, Minister Baines, the Minister of Labor and WorkSafe BC to have some monies allotted for businesses for PPE equipment. Uh, because it is a huge burden. I mean, imagine if you're a hotel owner and you have to invest this much money for those barriers, uh, for masks. Um, you know, the, the costs continue to increase, and it just doesn't make fiscal sense in the end. Uh, there has to be some type of an arrangement uh, with WorkSafe BC and PPE equipment uh, that will help especially our small business sector. Uh, are other cities doing things like this as far as uh, the Board of Trade in Surrey, putting those actual numbers out, tracking the job losses rather than looking at it uh, in a pro- through a provincial lens or, or a Canadian lens? Uh, and if not, do you think it's important that more cities do this? I'm not too sure if other cities are, are doing this, but uh, I know we're a leader in British Columbia and absolutely every city, every city has its own dynamics. Uh, needs to have this information. It's so important for short-term, long-term business planning. And uh, we're so um, pleased with the BC government to be able to give us this opportunity with uh, some funding that we were able to receive recently. All right. Uh, Anita, we'll leave it there for today. But thanks so much for being available. Thank you.
going out there, there's so many more people. Um, it, it's all, everybody's crowding together. Um, and then just like the, everybody's just a little bit more rude. They're not as nice. Um, there's a lot more kind of entitlement to be out here right now when it, everything is so crazy still and we still have the threat of the COVID happening. So um, it's just been so many more people flooding out here than in previous years. And I think because of we've had such low numbers, we haven't had a, um, an outbreak here. So people are thinking it's safe to come out here and, and camp, but um, it's kind of turning into not so much anymore. There's people crowding together and there's vehicles all over the road and it's just craziness out there right now. So that was the voice of a Euclid resident, Alexis Van Hout, speaking with Global News. We are joined now by the mayor of Euclid, Mako Noel. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me on this beautiful day, Jill. It is a beautiful day, uh, for sure. A lot of people wanting to get outside, heading to the the West Coast, as far west as they can go. But it sounds like things, in some cases, uh, got a little out of control. Yeah, predominantly outside district boundaries, for sure. Inside the district, um, you know, everything is business as usual. We're dealing with it. But, you know, that, that story in particular was talking about a Forest Service road where traditionally you would have a... You wouldn't have the numbers that you see right now. I think that you're seeing a lot of younger, younger demographic going out there, and they're having a you know a bit of a uh, too good of a time out there, which is you know causing some calls from the RCMP, ambulance service, et cetera, which is um, causing alarm, like your your last caller had just made the mention of. And so what is the message or is the message just not getting out to people that if you come here, um, if you have that staycation, if you're coming to Euclid, just make sure you're careful. Yeah, you know, it's we've always continued our message. Last week, our, ourselves in Tofino, uh, we, our campaign, which was uh, show your love for the West Coast, which was really, and, and a lot of most people are doing that, that are booking reservations, they're coming prepared, they have their mask. You know, we ask that you maybe just, you know, grab a few more things that you throw in the cooler, so maybe that gets you, uh, you know, one or less, one or two less trips at the grocery store. That is. In, inside our, our, our boundaries of what we have control of, that is going very well. The business community, uh, the residents, and, and the mask in our, in our grocery stores and stuff, that's going very well. But it's just the, uh, it's a bit of the out-of-controlness that's going on in the logging roads, which, uh, you know, it's been going on for almost 100 days now, and there's really no end in sight. It's out of, out of our jurisdiction, and we're just hoping that, uh, you know, conversations like we're having like this publicly, that, uh, you know, somebody with authority, Forest Service, and a few others will actually show up and uh, and uh, start to enforce a little bit of uh, some common sense out there. Uh, we saw the reports as well from Tofino about uh, illegal campers and uh, some pretty gross photos of garbage, piles of garbage left behind. Yeah. Is that an issue in or around Euclid as well? You know, at the very beginning, at the onset, you know, when you got a nice summer night, people wanted to go down to a beach and have a campfire. And, you know, bylaws just doing a bit more patrols, a bit more enforcement. And, and that seems to be working well. It's uh, definitely, it's been a learning curve for all of us. There's just a different different traveler here right now. And we really want to make sure that uh, everybody leaves here with a good experience. And we seem to be navigating through it. Uh, have you had to bring in fines or, or issue fines? Yeah, they're small. They're, you know, they're more of a... Um, the more of a friendly warning. These are not big ticket fines, but uh, we definitely, uh, the, the book has been out for, for a few people and just sheer presence uh, seems to be working with our bylaw officers.
And how concerning is it? We we heard from that resident that, sure, there hasn't been an outbreak of COVID-19, but you'd want to keep it that way. How concerning is it as far as health resources that if there are cases? Yeah, you know, I I think when you talk about health resources, we have one ambulance, we've got five officers, and, you know, it's... uh, when uh, we're sending uh, resources out there because uh, a vehicle slipped over upside down at two o'clock in the morning, you can understand that there's a level of frustration with with uh, with our our limited resources going out there because it really takes away from uh, those people that are in our community. And uh, yes, we've been very fortunate. There hasn't been any outbreaks uh, that we know of on the west coast. But uh, again, showing showing your love and wearing masks and everything else. We just really want to make sure that we, we stay on this trend and just a, a friendly reminder that you are coming to some smaller uh, coastal communities and really just taking that extra step to uh, protect the residents here and, 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 our, and our limited resources that we do have healthcare. How is uh, compliance, do you think, or, or even just anecdotally from what you're seeing as far as people wearing masks in stores and when they're in closer proximity to, to others? Predominantly, I think that the success rate is good. You know, obviously, if you're coming from the big city, uh, uh, your 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 what you think is normal is probably a little bit different for us uh, that shelter here on the west coast. But at the end of the day, uh, I would say that there's a fa- fairly good compliance with a lot of people respecting whether you go into the the co-op grocery store. They're asking for only one member of your party to go in there, have wear a mask, and you know, one out of a hundred might actually sit there and throw their arms up in the air, but to be expected. But generally, we know we're sitting in a good position. And for communities that are so reliant on tourism, uh, how has it been as far as, are you seeing people from BC kind of take up where you might have seen international or American tourists before? Yeah, hundred percent. You know, we're we're just delighted that we are one of the communities that people want to come and, and enjoy. And uh, what I'm hearing from a lot of the larger um, RV sites now is that the uh, I always forget it. those people that those those ones that are fortunate to go down south every winter snowbirds snowbirds, snowbirds thank you <laughs> those snowbirds you know we'll get there eventually uh, snowbirds uh, it seems like there's a big uptake of snowbirds that are starting to do some you know four to six month bookings uh, in the area which is again going to bring a, a different demographic to our area that really didn't get to experience it so I think all of this as we navigate through here as a uh, the municipality and the residents and, and, and COVID and everything else, I, I think we're, 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 we are sitting where we need to be in order to uh, uh, embrace the fall and winter and see what that brings. And so the message going to people as well uh, is if you think if you're thinking of going to the West Coast to these communities, you still have to reserve. You can't just show up and find a piece of land and decide to camp. No, definitely not in the district here because you'll get a rude awakening there when uh, the bylaw comes up there and kindly reminds you that, you know, get a campsite or get out of town. And that seems to be working. We're just trying to really get those people that think you're going to be able to do that on the backlogging roads. Just uh, give that a second thought. But those that are conforming that you got your reservation, come over here, enjoy it. The Wild Pacific Trail, whether you're into fishing, uh, surfing's been a hot hit on the West Coast. I understand that uh, both communities, uh, there's been a few times where there's been no surfing gear uh, available for rent. So there's a lot of people, a lot of British Columbians, and a lot of Canadians coming here. And I really want to make sure they understand that you are completely welcomed. We are open here to accept you. We just want to make sure you just follow a few housekeeping real rules. And, and I'll, I'll do that little plug of, you know, get to um, ukula.ca to our website there. I'll give you some, uh, some links and some information. And uh, we really want people just to enjoy this, uh, this great, um, this coastline here, which has lots of room for everybody.
All right. Sounds good. Uh, Mako, we'll leave it there for today. Thanks so much for your time. Yeah, Jill, thanks for calling. You appreciate it. Take care. Bye-bye.